Hey, if you are just joining us or if you're joining us for like the fourth time uh, this morning, after the uh, technical difficulties that we had, uh, again, would just like to welcome you. My name is Vern Collins. Um, so excited to be with uh, Pastor Laura and, and just um, for the privilege of getting to, uh, to open the word with you. It is not too late for you to uh, like the stream that you may be watching, share it. You can start a, a watch party. So I've thought about this over the past several weeks. We've made like the work of evangelism or this piece of evangelism as easy for you as possible. All you have to do is like, share, and if you're brave enough to start a watch party. And, and it just casts the net wider of folks that will get to experience worship with us and, um, and open God's word with us. And we're just so thankful for that. Um, I know many of you have been, but please feel free to, uh, to comment. Um, you know, some of you, if you're Crossroads folks, you're like, yeah, thanks, Collins, but we don't need permission to talk back at you uh, when you're preaching because we do that all the time anyway. Um, but one of the things I think that is, that is really neat about this, that it, it provides us the opportunity to do, if you are not used to uh, being vocal in response to worship or in response to the word. Um, this gives us an opportunity to practice what it means to grow together, right? Rather than just receiving, like you get to be a part of what people are hearing and a part of naming the ways that God might be speaking or moving through worship or through our time in scripture. So we would love for you to engage uh, in the comment section on Facebook or YouTube. And uh, we're just so thankful for that tool and, and the fact that it allows us to continue uh, to connect in worship. So this morning, we are, uh, we are three weeks into our series on the Holy Spirit. We started uh, on Pentecost Sunday. It seemed like a natural time for us to begin. Uh, began on Pentecost Sunday. Um, just looking at this, this fantastic, or, or I like to use the word fantastical outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? The, the, the visible tongues of fire and the sound like a rushing wind. And then even more amazing than that, the sound of, of, um, of the disciples proclaiming the wonders of God in languages that were not their own, but in languages that everyone who was in Jerusalem for the Pentecost festival could understand and hear. So the wonders of God are now going out into the world. What a great place for us to start and to consider the power of the Holy Spirit that's available for the church still. Uh, and then last week, gosh, Lori Beth and Jeff did a, an amazing job of, of helping us get into understanding who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, and this morning, we, we have the opportunity to consider the why behind the Holy Spirit. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? But before we get into that, everybody else has answered this question. This is the first time you've um, been up front for part of the message for this series. Laura, I, I'd like to just invite you to share maybe your understanding of the Holy Spirit. You know, where did you begin with that? How has your perception of the Holy Spirit changed uh, over the course of your, your faith journey? Yeah. Thanks. Um, so like some of the others have said, I think for a long time I, I didn't really think that much about uh, the Holy Spirit because it was kind of hard to understand. You know, you got God the Father, the Creator. Okay, I can wrap my head around that. Jesus coming as a person that's visible, tangible, feels like, okay, I can, I can kind of understand that. But the presence was a little more, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit is something a little more ambiguous. Like, Okay, maybe sometimes I've, I can imagine the Spirit when I'm uh, really all into worship and uh, singing or um, those moments when, you know, I grew up loving the hymn, surely the presence of the Lord is in this right, place, but right. it's a very, you know, tame 
yes, the presence of the Lord is here. <laughs> Doesn't it make us feel nice? It feels nice. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, over time I've come to realize that, that like you said, the, the, the spirit is, is that animating force mm-hmm. um, that is behind everything in our life of faith. And, and now that I've had more experiences of the spirit's comforting presence, the spirit's challenging presence, the spirit leading me to places I never thought I was going to go, <laughs> um, that, that really the spirit is, is super important in my understanding of who God is and how God works in the world. Um, and so I can, I can now look back and see how that transformative power of the spirit mm. isn't just the tame uh, presence that, that, you know, imagine as peaceful and quiet, but is, is really a, like the mighty rushing wind, like that um, kind of chaotic, all those voices uh, right. at Pentecost. And so um, I think that's really central now to my understanding of, of God. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things that makes the Holy Spirit so difficult is that it's both and, right? It's not, we can't so easily categorize the Holy Spirit. And so I think we have a difficult time understanding the why. Like, why is the Holy Spirit so critical to our faith journey? You know, and, and why should we, should we seek and invite and, and beg for the Holy Spirit to move in our lives and in the life of the church and in the world today? And so that's what we hope to, to get into. Would you mind praying for us as we prepare to open the work? Yeah. God, we give you thanks for this chance to, to come together, um, to be in worship, to open your word. And God, we do pray that your spirit your Holy Spirit will break us open as we open this word, that, that you will speak to us in ways that are beyond our understanding, but that you will make clear to us what you are doing in our lives, in our community, in our world, that we could sense your spirit here and feel your, your power that is equipping us and leading us, um, and that we could embrace that identity that we have in you um, through, the, through your spirit. So we, we just pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts as we read your word and as we um, dig into your truth this morning. Amen. Amen. So as we consider the, the question of why, why um, do we need the Holy Spirit? And, and seek to answer this. I, I thought this week about a point of, of connection in a way that may help us get into begin to understanding why Jesus would send the Holy Spirit. Like, why is that such a necessary? I mean, it's easy to see why the Holy Spirit was necessary for the birth of the church, but I think it can be difficult for us to wrestle with that question. Well, why the church is here, right? So why do I need the Holy Spirit as a, a critical part of my faith journey now? So we just planted our garden, and, and by just, I mean like last Sunday, just planted our garden. And I know that that's late, but there, like, here's the way I look at it. While the rest of you are picking out pumpkins this fall to decorate your front porch, we're still going to be eating tomato sandwiches. So we're okay with, with the late garden. But, but this week I spent time thinking about the process and the work that goes into like preparing. And, and we, like I, we only have one flat spot in our whole yard, and so I just tilled that joker up, and that's where our garden is just our little patch of dirt. But, but the process of preparing that, right? We, like I till it, I, you know, I rake it to get all as much of the dead stuff out as I can and then till it once and just kind of leave it and, and, and let it breathe. And then after some time, come back and, and till it again. And then, you know, try to get some of the rocks and stuff out and prepare that area for seed to go in it. And then till it a third time and make the soil as fine as possible and start to work, you know, compost into it and, and 
then create the rows where we're going to have our, you know, our, our vegetables and, you know, our, our greens and then create the space for our tomato plants, which we love. And, and so, you know, if you're like, yeah, I get that. I've, you know, maybe you have a planter, maybe you have raised beds, maybe you've been a part of working at our, our garden here at the church. And, um, you know, so you understand the process of getting things ready to put seed in the ground um, in order for that seed to grow. But, but I want you to try to imagine how absurd it would be to do all of that work and then just take your seeds and dump them in like a paper cup and just set them near the garden and hope for the best. Without the seed ever going into the soil, without the seed ever having contact with the one thing that it needs most in order to be able to grow, there is no hope of that seed ever bearing fruit. There's no hope of that seed ever becoming the thing that it was intended to be, right? In the same way, in in our relationship with God and in our faith journey, if we work to stay disconnected from the Holy Spirit, and, and listen, we can't avoid the work of the Holy Spirit, but there are certainly things that we can do that put us uh, in a place where we are more open to the move of the Holy Spirit and in places where we are less open to receive the move of the Holy Spirit. In, in trying to live this calculated, safe, like easy, you know, we, we can make sense of it kind of faith journey in which we live this existence removed from the Holy Spirit, we, we will never, like a seed that never touches the soil, we will never experience the fullness of what God has for us. We, will, we never have hope of bearing the fruit in our lives that, that God means for us to bear in his kingdom. And, and the reality is, we can't truly glorify God with our lives. So the Holy Spirit is, is a critical, critical piece to being able to live faithfully as, as followers of Christ without opening our hearts to the one thing that we need in order for the, the seed of the gospel to be able to flourish in our lives, we just fall short. And I think for many of us, that, that's the frustration with the Christian life. We just feel like it's this journey of you know, starts and stops. And, and it is. Look, we're, we're human. Um, we still wrestle with that. But without opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, we're just not ever gonna reach the fullness of what God um, has in store for us. And as, as Lori Beth and Jeff um, described last week, and I love this, that, that one of the things that we see in, in the Holy Spirit, and this is from the beginning of, of Scripture and the first time that the, the, the work of the Spirit is mentioned in the creation story, from the beginning of Scripture all the way through, it's this sense of movement. Right? It's this sense of going on to something. And, and, you know, John Wesley would say we're going on to perfection. We're going on to become more like Jesus in the way that we love God and love others. We're, we're going on to, um, to reflect Jesus more fully in that. But it's this idea of, of, of movement. And, and I think the hope in that for us is that it means that where we are and the things that might be challenging you know, about right now in the season that we find ourselves in, that this doesn't have the final say. Like, this is not the end of the story. The story doesn't stop with this difficult season. The story doesn't stop with the unrest that is happening all around us right now. There's more that's going on, and there's more that God desires to do. And so, you know, one of the things that the Spirit does is continues to move us toward the completion of, you know, all that God is doing um, on the earth. And Here's the thing for me that's really hopeful, and it's what we see, uh, we'll see in John's uh, passage, is that it is a process, right? It's a process of, of living into that place where we, we trust the moving and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes that is to remain in the hard place, 
um, you know, because our tendency is just to want to get to the other side of it. Whew, that was tough. Glad that's not, you know, I'm not experiencing that anymore. But sometimes when we do that, we miss out on what God wants to do in the midst of it. So maybe the Spirit leads us to, to be still and to remain in those places that are difficult. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's what God wants to do through the challenge or, or how God wants to use the challenge to prepare us for what's on the other side. So we're in this process and the Holy Spirit is very much in the process uh, with us. Let's look at uh, John's gospel. We'll, we'll begin there this morning and we'll look at uh, John chapter 16 and we'll read verses 12 uh, through 15. John records Jesus' words here to his disciples. He says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. So one of the things that we see in this passage and in the one that we'll read uh, in a moment from uh, Romans is that inherent um, in having a healthy understanding of relationship to the Spirit is it requires us to have this, this posture of, of submission. Right, this posture of trusting uh, the Holy Spirit's uh, leading, and and in order for us to truly um, be able to to embrace this, we have to deal with um, the very real challenges that we don't really like to be led by anyone other than ourselves. You know, and you might say, "Well, that's not true." Like. I, I submit to people all the time in my workplace or, or you know, in, in the leading of people that are wiser than me or, or you know, whatever the case may be. Like, uh, some of you have made very real changes to your lifestyle over these past several weeks because you're submitting to the leadership and the wisdom of, you know, of, of people who, who are wiser than we are. Some of us are refusing to do that, right? So we see this tension playing out even now. But, but, I, but I wonder, even in the, the submitting to, you know, to the leading and the following of others, do we, do we do so out of a place of humility or do we do so just because we think it's gonna turn out better for us, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, you know, I, this is a difficult idea for us to wrestle with, that if we're honest, like, are we really, really willing to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us? Like, are we willing to submit ourselves to the, to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Because it may mean something like Pentecost. It may mean that you find yourself in a situation that you feel completely ill-equipped for and, and that you are completely unprepared for. And yet that might be how the Holy Spirit is choosing um, to lead. So we have this hard time giving up control in our lives, right? And I mean, it's just kind of inherent in the challenge of being a faithful follower of Christ. Are we willing... You know, we, we're, we're okay to acknowledge Jesus as Savior, but are we willing to acknowledge Jesus as Lord of our lives? Are we willing to yield to the Holy Spirit? And so, Laura, as, as you think about your, your journey, you know, as, as a Christ follower, um, are, there, are there areas where surrendering control has been, you know, challenging to you? And, and what have you learned in that? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I mean, when I think about it, I think any time that our journeys, that my journey takes an unexpected twist or a turn, it can be really hard <laughs> to, uh, 
to adjust to the fact that it's not lining up to our expectations. Mm. And I mean, I don't know if this happens with, with you and Piper, but sometimes JB and I will, will be talking and, and I'll want to ask his opinion. Oh, what do, you, what do you think we should do today? And I have in my mind what I think we should do today. But you have the right answer in mind. I have the right answer in mind. <laughs> and so then when he doesn't give the right answer, it's a little awkward because then I have to either say, well, no, that's not what I want to do. Actually, I, I think we should do this and this is what we're going to do. Right. <laughs> or we have, to, we have to kind of, you know, decide. Um, and I think, I think sometimes we have that tendency with God too, that, that we pray, Lord, show us the way. But then sometimes it's like, no, 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 not, not that way. Right. We don't want to go that way. I really just wanted you to tell me I was on the right track. Um, or I wanted you to confirm for me that, that those people needed to change and I'm not the one who needs mm. to change. Um, and so, so I think for me, those, those moments when I've realized, no, something within me needs to change. Yeah. Something um, I need to, to learn to look at, at this situation differently. Um, and that sometimes that it might ultimately lead to that better place, that better outcome for me, but it's a, it's a difficult journey getting right. there. It's not an immediately, oh, yes, this is the, the path of roses and sunshine, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's sometimes a difficult, difficult journey right. getting there. Right. But it is, it, it's a process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and that's the beauty, and we find that in, in John's passage, actually, this, this idea of process. Jesus opens with, uh, in verse 12, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. So, so it's this idea that <clears throat> the disciples are in a place in their relationship with him and their understanding of who he is, and, and yet there's so much more for them, but, but Jesus understands them enough and knows their nature. I mean, he spent, you know, up to three years with these guys at this point. I mean, I wonder if he has Peter in mind and thinks, gosh, if I show kind of all my cards now, there's no telling how Peter's going to respond. <laughs> you know, like he's my guy that I kind of measure, you know, everything against. So how is Peter going to respond to this? Jesus longs for them to experience more and to know more. And yet he's willing, he's willing to hold back. And we don't know what those things are, right? But I wonder if some of it, you know, and, and Jesus has alluded to them and he's, he's, he's tried to give them a window in, into what was going to happen to him. But, but, you know, what if he were to really go into detail and say, hey, I'm, I'm preparing you now for the fact that you're no longer going to be with me or I'm no longer going to be with you in the way that you're used to. And, and here's how I'm going to be taken from you. It's going to be brutal and it's going to be terrifying and it's, it's going to be ugly. Right? And you're going to feel helpless and powerless and scared. He doesn't tell them that. He could also go on to tell them, hey, and, and then, you know, once you figure out how this turns out, once I reveal myself to you again and then bring the Holy Spirit, here's what's going to happen to you when you, when you commit yourself to the path that, that I'm calling you to. You're going to suffer. You're going to be hated. Uh, many of you are going to die horrible deaths. Right? And, and I mean, imagine that's how Jesus, how Jesus finishes this conversation and then says, oh, okay, are we ready for the garden? Let's, you know, head out. I mean, m- my guess is that the disciples would be, yeah, no, um, I, I think this is not what we signed up for, so, you know, we're out. And, and so I think about, you know, as you have grown um, in, in your Christian journey, think about who you understand God to be now versus who you understand God to be when you started. Like, one of the ways I believe that God shows his love for us is in his, the, the patient ways that he reveals himself to us over time. 
Um, because I think, you know, while we have scripture and, and, and we know the stories, we, we can read the testimony of those who have gone before us. God understands that there's this process of growing into a, a more mature place in relationship, you know, with, with who he is. And so, um, <clears throat> the disciples, will, they will continue, right, on, on this journey to take the path that, that is before them. Um, it will result in challenges, and it will result in an opportunity for them to be faithful and to, to stand the test that, that they will face. Here's what allows them to do that. Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you all these things now, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, and again, Lori Beth and Jeff did a phenomenal job of unpacking like who the spirit is. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the words that the Spirit will have, the ways that that God will continue to reveal himself to the disciples through the Holy Spirit, those words are trustworthy. The things that the disciples will learn, the things that we learn are trustworthy, right? The the Holy Spirit is not just, okay, now now it's my time and I get to go rogue. Like I've been tired of being the third part of the Trinity that nobody really wants to do anything with, so now it's my day to shine. And, and here's some ideas that I have that I've been kind of, you know, have been stirring. That's not who the Spirit is. Father, Son, Holy Spirit are, are one. They are of one accord, one heart, one mind. Um, in order for the disciples to be faithful in the things that God is calling them to, it means that they trust the one who is faithful to them. And, and the way they come to this place of trusting the faithfulness of God is being led into a deeper understanding of who God is. So one of the ways that the Holy Spirit leads us is into truth about who God is. In order for us to ever have a chance of growing, in order for us to come to a place where we are more willing to surrender more of who we are to God's leading in our lives, we have to understand more of who this God is that we are saying yes to. And, and it's not just a one-time saying yes, it's a daily committing ourselves and placing ourselves before the Lord. And we are more inclined to do that when we have a deeper understanding of who God is and it's the Holy Spirit that leads us into that deeper truth. And my understanding and who I know God to be now versus who I understood God to be when I said yes at the age of 16 is vastly different. And yet if God had taken everything that he's revealed to me now and dumped it on me as a 16-year-old, I would have said no, I think I'm, I'm good. You know, I think I'll just keep going to church because that's just, the, you know, I'll just check that box and then I'll, I'll live my life the way, the way that I want to. As we continue in, in our journey with Christ, right? It would be easy to say, well, by nature, aren't we gonna understand more of who God is if we do go to church, if we are a part of Bible study, if we do go to Sunday school, if we do serve in missions, if I spend time in prayer, if I spend time in the word, like inherent in that isn't just a deeper understanding of who God is? Well, certainly. But at some point, what we learn in our minds, we have to ask the question, is that, is that making the journey to our hearts, right? Is it beginning to affect and inform the way that we live our lives and view the world around us? And, and I thought of it this way. Is the understanding that you are gaining about God actually from God? Or are you simply forming your own opinions of God to better suit the life that you want to live? W- what a challenging thing to wrestle with. 
Am I allowing the Holy Spirit to lead me into deeper truth of who God is or am I just forming my own opinions of God because I think that life should be lived this way or that I should get to live life this way? The truth that the Holy Spirit is speaking here and that will lead the disciples and lead us into is not some relative truth, right? It is a truth that is outside of. It, it is a truth that we didn't cook up on our own. And, and I wonder for you, how has the Holy Spirit, um, Laura, led you into deeper truth of who God is? And, and how has that impacted your life? Yeah, yeah, I think for me, kind of like you said, you know, early on, faith formation instilled in me this idea of, you know, who God is. God wants me to, to be a good Christian. And what did that mean? That means loving God and loving our neighbor. Um, and so, you know, growing up, it was, it was. Bible studies, youth group, mission trips, um, all of that stuff, raising money for those who are less fortunate um, and being kind to everyone. Those right. are, you know, the, that's what it meant to be, be a good Christian. And those are good and true things. That, that is a sure. piece of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, but I think that um, my life and, and I might say the spirit then led me to, to places and introduced me to people who, who broke open mm-hmm. my idea of, of what it meant to love God and love others more deeply mm-hmm. and to um, even challenge my idea of who God is. And so it's been especially through journeying with and through listening to people um, who are, are Christians and are from different backgrounds than, than what I grew up in. Um, Christians of different races, of different nationalities, right. Christians um, who come from different economic backgrounds, and that through journeying with them, I've, I've, I've been able to just broaden my picture of who God is. Mm. And I think it's also um, that fuller picture at the same time has given me a a sense of the importance of recognizing the particularity of how God chose to enter the world. That Jesus is, we might call it his social location, the the way that God chose to enter the world, that really matters. That that God, um, yes, God came for all people, but God came in a particular way. God came to an unwed, poor mother in the region of Galilee. And God came to a family that had to flee uh, as refugees to Egypt when right. he was a small child. Right. God came um, to, to him, to the world as a, a Jew living in the Roman Empire and so was, was treated as like a second-class citizen mm-hmm. in, in, that, um, in that day. And that, you know, throughout his life, Jesus was harassed for hanging out with the wrong types of people and ultimately was executed by the state for... Um, being seen as as a political threat, as a, a traitor to the right. Roman Empire, and and all of that matters. Um, and so that's changed how I look at, at things in the Gospels. Um, how you know when Mary proclaims right at, you know while she's pregnant that God has has chosen her and has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations, has pulled the powerful down from the thrones and lifted up the lowly. And then a few chapters later, we hear Jesus identifying his mission as quoting from Isaiah. To he says, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me." He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the Mm -hmm. captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And and those cues, those give us some cues about what, who God is and about um, the fact that God has, uh, God's sense of 
who God is and what God's doing in the world has always been a challenge to the status quo right. and a challenge to the wider society and its structures. And so to me, that um, that's changed how I look at things. I think sometimes we have a tendency to, to kind of spiritualize those passages. And mm-hmm. yes, there, there are spiritual truths there, but there's also an uh, impact that, that those words have on the here and the now. And so um, having these experiences of hearing from different parts of the body of Christ has led me to want to search out God in those places and in those people um, and to see how God shows up in, in particularly powerful ways mm-hmm. um, in in people in places that the world rejects. And yeah. so, you know, I, when I was growing up, would have never imagined that I would live in Boone, that I would live in Bradford Trailer Park. And I think a lot of people, when, um, when they look at JB and I and they see that we live in a trailer park and that we've chosen to do that, um, think, you know, well, you've gone there because you want to, to make the place better. You want to maybe bring Jesus to, to the neighborhood there. And, um, Yes, we want to see our neighborhood transformed, just like we want to see the rest of the world transformed. Right. But for us, it is, it is so much more than that. It's that we also feel like we need to be in relationship with people there. We need to see how they see the world, mm-hmm. how their faith has, has helped them through so many struggles, um, and how, how that can, can strengthen our faith and how we can work together to, to bring that transformation. And so all of that is, has been a journey. And... Um, and has opened up for me just what I think God looks like. <laughs> um, I think too of a story that of several years ago, one of the the youth, um, JB was talking to him, and this was a youth who's of Mexican-American heritage, and um, JB just kind of offhand made the comment like, well, you know, Jesus actually looked a lot more like you than me. Right. Um, and this like totally blew this kid's mind. <laughs> and he was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? Uh, he'd only, you know, he'd been going to church since he was a little kid, but had pictured, you know, maybe white-haired, bearded grandpa like Patrick God, Swayze Jesus, um, yeah. Or Patrick Swayze yeah. Jesus. Um, and it was, it was that moment that was a real turning point of him mm. saying, okay, if God is someone who, who identifies with people who are suffering mm. and identifies with those who are oppressed, that's, that's maybe somebody I... I could get behind following. Right, right, um. yeah. Oh, love that. I, I just, I, I love having these conversations with you. I mean, whether we're sitting in front of the camera or not. Um, and I just appreciate so much you, the way that you challenge me to see God differently. And that's a perfect example of the way that the Holy Spirit leads us into deeper truth. And I love that you, you talked about the status quo because I think many of us work hard to create that and then to protect it with all of our might. And yet what Jesus did was to come in and just blow that up, right? Um, and, and so, you know, we talk a lot about, like, and, and this world conditions us to, you know, each of us should, we, like, form your truth and stick to it because your truth is what's going to carry you. But praise God that, that in God and in Christ and in the Holy Spirit, we have a truth that comes from outside of us. That, that has nothing to do with something that we've formed and that we've created, but it is a truth that exists outside of us and yet can transform us and transform the way that we see the world. So, so why the Holy Spirit? Because when we look at the world, it is readily apparent that we need this truth from outside of us. Um, we, we need to understand and to know that, that God is not just who we want God to be, that God is who we need God to be and who the world needs God to be. And, and I want us to look really quickly at, at Romans uh, chapter eight. 
So not only do we need the Holy Spirit to lead us into deeper truth about who God is, we need the Holy Spirit to lead us into deeper truth about who we are. Let's look at Romans 8, uh, beginning with verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and that would be sons and daughters, your adoption as children of God. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. For a couple of years when I was in college, I worked as a volunteer uh, in an outreach ministry for high school students called uh, Young Life, uh, and then spent my first 12 years here at the church working uh, in youth ministry with high school and, and middle school students. And when describing his, his time in Young Life, I heard um, one, of the, one of the area directors in, in North Carolina um, describe um, the way, what he sees playing out in, in the lives of, of high school students. Uh, he said they spend time continually trying on who they are not in order to try to figure out who they are truly meant to be. They spend time trying on who they are not in order to try to figure out who they are truly meant to be. And, and while many of us could reflect on, on our younger years, our, our teenage years, we might nod our head in agreement at that and some of the things that we did and some of the relationships that we sought and some of the decisions that we made, some of the things that we gave ourselves over to, some of those things that we did in hopes of, you know, creating for ourselves an identity or in hopes of fulfilling something, some, you know, hole in, in, in our lives that just we had this emptiness and felt like needed to be be filled. Um, and, and many of us would say, gosh, I'm, I'm I'm grateful that I'm, I'm kind of through that. I'm on, on the other side of that now. But the reality is that still, even as adults, um, every day we buy into this lie that somehow a better version of ourselves will make life more full. Or we buy into this lie that we can find fulfillment or satisfaction or meaning or identity if we just know the right people. Or if we are just in relationship with the right people. Or we feel like we can find meaning and fulfillment and identity if we have the right things or if we have more of something or less of, you know, other things. And so we, we enter into um, this, this race that is life. And, and while we might look back, you know, on those teenage years and say, gosh, I'm so glad I'm beyond that and I'm not doing those things anymore. In so many ways, we are still running the same race and we are still pursuing the same empty and, and dead-end roads. It just looks a little bit different. Now we just say, well, I'm, I'm just busy. I'm just trying to be success, successful. I'm just trying to live you know, the life that I've been given to live. And, and, and on the surface, those things might not look as overtly rebellious as they did when we were teenagers. But the reality is that if we seek to find our identity and meaning anywhere other than God. It's all an act of rebellion because what we are do is doing is creating idols in our lives and looking to those things to, to fulfill us and to give us an identity and it leaves us exhausted. It leaves us worn thin. And, and Paul gets at this in verse six, just above this. He says, the mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And then in verse seven, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. 
It does not submit that we see it again to God's law, nor can it do so. And so we find ourselves kind of trapped in this place where we are chasing things that leave us unfulfilled and we are chasing these kind of dead-end roads, all, again, trying to create a life for ourselves and then protect it, right? Trying to create a, or live into a status quo and then trying to connect, con, uh, protect it. But what we find in the gospel is that good news comes into those bad places. Good news comes into those empty places. Good news shines its light on those dark places that we kind of hide those failures and kind of hide those shortcomings from the rest of the world. It invades those empty spaces in us. And the good news is this, that in our rebellion, the punishment that should have been placed on us was absorbed by Jesus. And the righteousness and the fullness of who Jesus is was offered to us. And we've not done a single thing to earn it. We've not done a single thing to earn that. Gosh, what an incredible truth, right? That God meets us right where we are in our brokenness and our empty pursuits. And and not only offers us the cross, a, a, a means to be forgiven, but offers us the Holy Spirit, a means by which we begin to understand who we are as children of God. So I think this is where it gets difficult, though, because for any of us who have, like, evaded some judgment that we deserved whether it's gotten out of a speeding ticket or been released from some debt or, or just like you knew you were doing something wrong and you didn't get caught by it, you, we, we tend to say, whew, man, dodged a bullet there. And, and now I have a second chance and I'm, I'm gonna do better. I'm gonna clean myself up. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop speeding. I'm gonna, you know, the speed limits actually mean something. They're not just a suggestion. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave my house earlier so I'm not in a rut. That might last for like, you know, like guilt only sustains us for so long. <laughs> that might last for a short period of time before we're back to those old patterns. It, again, Jesus didn't come and give his life so that we might just be an improved version of who we are. Jesus came and gave his life and then offered us the Holy Spirit so that we might be made into something new. And, and that's where we see the need for the Holy Spirit as it relates to our understanding of who we are. The Spirit leads us into deeper truth of who God is, and the Spirit leads us into deeper truth of who we are as children of God. Look at what Paul says in this passage that we just read. The Spirit you received, and, and any of us who have said yes to life with Christ, that the, the promises that the Spirit has given to us. The Spirit that you have received does not make you slaves. Slaves to what? Slave to fear slaves to the burden of trying to keep up, slaves to the burden of trying to measure up, slaves to the guilt that we feel when we realize that that's not working out, and, and then slaves to trying to hide that from the rest of the world. Rather, the spirit that we receive is a spirit of adoption by which we are able to cry, Abba, and that's a, like, it's a term of intimacy when we're talking about God as our Father, the spirit that allows us to call God Father. It's a spirit in in which we are not meant to live in slavery, but we are meant to live in freedom, to walk in freedom. And here's the beautiful truth about that. God didn't choose to adopt you for who you could become. God didn't choose to adopt you as his son or daughter for who he hopes you will be 
or, or who he thinks you might become if he gets his hands on you. The, the beauty and, and I think the weight of that truth is that God chose to adopt us, as Paul says in the beginning of Ephesians, before we ever did anything to deserve it, before we ever did anything to earn it. And for the Holy Spirit to lead us into that truth means that the work of trying to measure up, like because we might receive that and then say, okay, now I need to work really hard to prove that what Jesus did was worth it, to prove to God that, that he didn't, you know, waste himself on me. And, and yet, what the Spirit tells us is that we're freed from that. We're freed from trying to measure up. Instead, we're invited to live into this, this identity as a son or daughter of God that was conferred upon us freely and that was made possible by what Jesus gave to us. Imagine if we begin to live life allowing the Holy Spirit to confer upon us identity rather than trying to gain identity from the world around us. Like how might that change the way that we live this life and the way that we see the world around us? Laura, how, how have you experienced this in, in your own life? Yeah, so, so one of the things that this, these passages brought up for me is, is thinking about how I've experienced the Holy Spirit in different church mm-hmm. settings. Um, and I think, you know, of worshiping with our partner church down in Pottsville, Guatemala. And one of the things that really stand, stands out when our mission teams go down is, is we feel the Spirit's presence in a, a different way than we're used to feeling here. And we might sometimes describe it as more charismatic or more Pentecostal. Um, but thinking about that Spirit's role of affirming uh, affirming with our spirit that we are God's children, that we are co-heirs with Christ. I think of how important that is in the context of, of there where indigenous Mayan uh, people have been looked down on. They've been treated as less than. The world has not affirmed their dignity, mm. um, but the spirit affirms the truth that they are God's children, that they are inheritors of the kingdom, able to cry out to God, Abba, Father. And so right. when we worship with right. them, we experience that and we, we hear those cries right. in a powerful way. And it's, it's beautiful and sometimes a little like surprising if, if we haven't been in that, uh, that kind of setting before. But um, I think that, that's one way. And then I think of how that same thing has been true in our country. Mm. Um, over the last couple of years, I've, I've been part of a, a project that was uh, looking at, at what are called hush harbors or the brush arbors where uh, enslaved Africans would, would go off into the woods to, to pray secretly mm. and to worship at night when they were not allowed to. The, um, and, you know, in that context, again, they, uh, the Spirit affirmed for them what um, they could believe is true that no one else was saying, that they were children of God, um, that they were valued in God's sight, just as valued as, as those were, who were enslaving them. And so that gave them that strength to take the risk. It was a, a risk of beating, of death, uh, to go and to worship. But in that, um, in that place, they were able to, to hear the truth of the gospel, not the, the gospel that was proclaimed that their only worth was in, in servitude and that they, uh, their Christian duty was only to obey uh, and be good and faithful slaves, but to the, the truth that they, 
they were a free people and it then allowed them to have uh, the, the bravery to go and actually search out that freedom. Right. Um, and so both of these experiences, to me, they kind of pointed to that fuller fulfillment of, of what Jesus told the disciples um, in the beginning of chapter 16 back in John, um, that the purpose of the Holy Spirit would be to testify to the truth so that the followers would not fall away mm. uh, in, in times of hardship and persecution that, uh, that they could endure. And so sometimes I think those of us who, who are white, um, we go to visit black or brown churches and we think, wow, they're so full of the spirit. And, you know, we love singing the songs and the way that worship makes us feel. But, but often I think we just mark it up to cultural differences or um, preferences. But, but in thinking about these passages, it's made me think how crucial the spirit's affirmation is for people who the world does not affirm. Right. Um, where the world does not affirm their identity, but in fact actively works to dehumanize, to mm. degrade, to destroy them. And so when I think about my own experience, it's only been when I've been able to be firm in, in my identity as God's beloved, to be able to to face some of those hard truths of um, see times when, when I've fallen short, to see times when I've failed to recognize belovedness in others, or um, to begin to, to confront the hard truths of our history and the, the way our ancestors' history um, has played out, and to, to try to take on that um, journey of restoration and, um, and to not repeat the same patterns um, and mistakes that, that we've inherited. And so I think that's a journey that's really important for, for all of us to, to be on right now and to lean into that discomfort and to, um, to really trust the Spirit's guiding and trust that, that our belovedness is not in question when we, when we confront mm. sins in our past, whether those are personal or those are the, you know, the legacy that we've inherited. Right. Right. And I, I love that that's what you close with because I, I, I want to just, um, I want to close with, with something that I think just speaks right to that. Um, and, and it's something that, that I would like to invite all of us to, to maybe spend this week practicing. Uh, Brennan Manning in his story, the, uh, his book, The Furious Longing of God, um, tells of a retreat that he was at and they offered a you know time of prayer um, for everyone who was there if they wanted and I mean that you know people just lined up for individual prayer and anointing and he said it was like two in the morning when they got finished and he went back to his room didn't even take his clothes off just laid in his bed and was out and then said it like you know three in the morning he hears this knock at the door and it, it's um, it's one of the nuns and and she comes and and they found two chairs in the hallway and sit and talk and, and he asks her what what is it? What's going on? Uh, and, and she begins to t- talk about how she was abused, sexually abused by her father when she was a child um, and how that abuse continued for years and how it has affected her and how she wants desperately to, you know, to, to be able to receive communion without feeling guilt. And it's this guilt and shame that she's, that she's carried with her and she feels like if people knew it would define her and, and that she, she wouldn't be able to commit her life um, uh, you know, to in, in the convent and, and wouldn't be able to continue to, to try to live out who she feels like God is calling her to be. And he said he just listened with, the, with a broken heart and, and, and he challenged her. He said, I want you for the, for the next month, every day for the next month to, to practice, you know, praying in this way, to pray, you know, sit with your palms open and pray, Abba, I belong to you. And he said it's seven syllables. It's the rhythm of breathing mm-hmm. and, and, you know, when you breathe in, Abba, I belong to you. 
And, and that's something that we can know, but when we really begin to allow that truth to sink into who we are, when we allow the Holy Spirit to take that truth and, and begin to actually transform our understanding of who we are, we find that it transforms our understanding of the world around us and, and people around us. And he said the greatest thanks he's ever received in ministry was a, a letter written months later from, from the same uh, nun. And, and she said, you know, I used to, to, to sign my letters, you know, using my, you know, Sister Mary, whatever her name was. But, but now she says, I sign my letters. I, I'm a daughter of my Abba, you know. I'm a daughter of the Abba of Jesus. And so we would invite you over this week to place yourself in a posture before God where you're naming, you're allowing God to speak that truth over who you are. And in doing so, to find that the Holy Spirit leads you to deeper truth of who God is, who loves you, and who you are as one beloved by God. See how God can use that to transform you, transform the world around you. Amen. Thank you. Amen.